All right, well, at this time, the children can head out to Children's Church. You guys got a great lesson prepared, I'm sure. Have a good time. So last week, we began talking about the harvest that is coming at the end of life. I mean, the, if we just look at life itself, it, it teaches us that there is a, a spring, there is a time for planting, a time for working, and then there is the harvest at the end of the year. At the end, everything is brought in uh, uh, before the end. The fruit of the plants are brought in. Now, when we started talking about the harvest, uh, as we as Christians, the harvest, the fruit that we are talking about, we learned last week, is the fruit of righteousness. That it is our righteous acts, our righteous thoughts, our righteous behaviors, the transformation of ourselves from sinful creatures into righteous ones. And that we are building, to be building, a harvest of righteousness within us, but not only within us, but also within those who are and maybe around us in the world. Uh, So this week we're going to discuss how do we prepare that harvest, not only in ourselves, but also in the world around us and the places we work, in our families, and so on. So let's begin with John chapter 4, verse 35 to 36. Jesus says, do not say, there are Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have now entered into their labor. So laying the groundwork of Jesus' analogy comparing what has happened in, in the history of mankind to the harvest. He tells us that there are those who came before who were planting seeds and plowing the ground and preparing the way. Those are the prophets. And he says, now I am sending you out to reap the righteousness that is in the world. I'm sending you out into a work that you did not begin to harvest that which you did not plant. He says, but you are being brought into this process, into being a a worker. Now he says, you need to be aware. And I don't think this is just for them. I think it's for us. He says, lift up your eyes and see that we are ready for the harvest. That there is a harvest that is all around us. He is wanting us to recognize our role in this eternal story. It doesn't matter whether I sowed in this person's life or not. I can be the one to step in and reap. The sower, the reaper, we are all partners together in what we are doing. Christ is sowing the seed, and he is telling his disciples, you are going to reap what I have sown, the work that I have done. And he isn't worried about any of that, now, about, about who gets credit or, or any of that. He, he wants us to realize, he says that there is eternal life is the wage. That is what you receive for being a worker who is in the vineyard of the Lord, who is working in the fields, who is working in the harvest. But he did say, he did say at the very beginning right there, already the one who reaps is receiving wages. I want to just focus on this for a second and kind of help maybe wake us up a little bit. He says that though eternal life is what it is, that's the wage that we will receive at the end when the job is done, yet now there is a deposit 
we have a deposit, uh, a, a part of our wage, a part of what we will be rewarded with. What is that? Well, let's look at this. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. He says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So the wage that you have received in this life is the indwelling, in living of God's Holy Spirit inside of us, who is manifest and moving in us, who has empowered us to do this work that we were not able to do before, that we could not do on our own. He is there as a deposit, but he's not the entirety of the reward. The entirety rests onward. But what I wanted to wake you up to is this. When we are told that we have received a deposit and that the eternal life awaits for us, when we're told that there's a harvest in which we are to work, I I wanted to put this into context. When I was a young boy and we lived uh, in Rogersville, Missouri, I can remember my parents, we didn't have a lot of money, but they scrimped and saved. They saved up uh, enough money that uh, they put on an extra room on the house. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a fun project. They hired a guy who came highly recommended, or came recommended, I guess at least, um, hired him, and uh, he and my dad came to an agreement. Um, my father, you know, he told my dad how much it was going to be, and, uh, but he needed a certain amount up front uh, so that he would be able to get supplies and be able to, to get things uh, ready, and I don't remember what percentage is, it, it is, and I should have called Daddy. Could have told me it was like a hundred percent. I don't know. So my dad hands him over the deposit. Says, "Here, here's the money. Uh, go ahead and get started." The man accepts the money and skips out, which was really rough for us because here they had saved up for this a, a long time, worked for this, and he takes it and he goes. Now, most of us, we, oh, that makes, it, it makes you mad, right? Have you ever been taken advantage of that way? Where someone, uh, uh, you trust someone with something and then, and then they run off and leave you high and dry. They don't fulfill their promise. That happened with us. I asked dad one time, I said, why didn't we, why didn't you go after him and get your money? And he said it would have cost more in, in, in court fees to get money. Uh, he says, you, you know, that old phrase, you can't get blood out of a turnip. He didn't have any money to get money out of. So, great, he would get a judgment against them and no money so they never went after him he just got away with it I share that story because we all have the same reaction what a scuzz right what a scumball who would do that I want to connect it to this story Christ wants you to realize you have been called to be workers in the vineyard to labor in this harvest To open your eyes and to realize that the work is all around you. It's right here. It's ready. It's time. And a deposit has been placed inside of you. You have been granted a deposit based on that work. Are you going to do it? See, when when someone gives a deposit, there's an interchange and there's a promise that happens when a deposit is given and a deposit is received. When my dad hired that gentleman to build the building and the 
gentleman said, I need X amount of dollars down to be able to begin it. When my dad handed him the deposit on the job done, my dad was promising him that the rest of the money would follow the work. When that man took the deposit from my father, he was making a commitment that he would do the work that this money was to, uh, was to make happen. When God has given you the Holy Spirit as a deposit, you didn't, you, you didn't earn this, okay? You didn't earn that gift. But you did accept the deposit. Within the same confines and context, God says, if you will join my work, I will give you eternal life. And as a deposit, I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in you so that you can do the work you could not do without me. He's calling us to an impossible task, except he's put the impossible Holy Spirit in us to work the impossible, which is fantastic. When we accepted that deposit, we were not merely saying, yes, Jesus, yes, God, I accept the eternal life. We were saying, we will do the job to which you have called us. That deposit that God laid in us came with a job. And so it's important for us to ask the question, are we, are we going to be the people that take the deposit and go and do whatever we want with it and leave the job to someone else? Or do we, do we live up to the promise that we have made? So how do we prepare this, this harvest? Well, it's also important to remember that in John, if we go back to that passage in John chapter 4, the harvest isn't ours, it's, it's his. Other people have sown, other people have watered, they've all done the work. Paul even says that, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gives the increase. You know what, there's a lot of people working here. But the New Testament makes it very clear that God is, and he calls him this, the Lord of the harvest. It is his harvest. All the righteousness that's happening in you and in others, though we are working for it, it is his harvest of righteousness to have. We are to work to increase the righteousness in us as well as the righteousness that is in other people. So what does the Bible have to say about prepping this harvest for collection in others as well as in ourselves? Let's get to the first one. We read this passage last week, James 3, 18. We're going to look at it again. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And we see there that this harvest of righteousness is directly connected to whether or not we are peacemakers. Are we peaceful people? Are we seeking to to better our relationships with other people? As Paul says, he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And I'm really glad he says, as far as it depends on you, because I can't make anybody like me. I can't make anybody happy with me. That is not within my wheelhouse. Guess what? It's not within yours either. You do not have the capacity to control the emotions, the behaviors, or the thoughts of other people. But you can control yours. And when someone speaks ill of you, you can still be at peace with them. They may not be at peace with you. 
That isn't, that's not yours. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Now, James connects it, right? I mean, he connected. You are sowing in peace, and what you're reaping is peace. This, this peace is connected. And again, not, shouldn't, be, shouldn't be surprising. What did Jesus say? I think, because I think James is just echo, echoing what his brother said. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So this is in that section called the Beatitudes. So we've got a lot of things that Jesus says, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, blessed, you know, blessed, 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 blessed. He's got lots of them. And the rewards for each one of these things are a lot different, right? Uh, the, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. They will inherit the earth. There's all of these things. But here, it is the peacemaker that receives the the title son of God it is the peacemaker that becomes God's child why we're heading into this Christmas season when Jesus was born what title was he given the son of God what was his title the prince of peace Why did he come? He came to make peace between men and God. That we, while we were still in our sin and were hostile to him, none of us, none of us were coming to him. We were hostile to him. He came into a world that did not receive him to make peace. We're even told that God, in Christ, did not count our sins against us so that we might be saved. That's God making peace with people who weren't interested in it. Peacemaking is the beginning. I mean, it's it's the entirety of what Christianity is about. Jesus came to make peace. He left us to make peace. Paul tells us, he says, we are now Christ's ambassadors. Uh, We are now God's ambassadors in Christ, making our appeal through him be reconciled to God. Our mission is to plead with people, be at peace with God, no longer in rebellion against him, no longer fight, be at peace with him. And that is what a son a daughter, a child of God does is they seek to make peace. And I love that he says peacemakers, not peace havers or peace feelers, but that we take the steps necessary to remove any hostility that we can, that we are willing to lay down our egos, we are willing to lay down our names, our reputations, none of that matters. We'll pay any cost, pay any price to bring peace. Peace. Peace is not something that happens. Peace is something that is made. That's why we teach kids. Share. Say you're sorry. Say please, say thank you. All of these things, all of those, they are making peace. When we make 
peace. So how does this making peace increase righteousness? Well, in us, we're told that whenever we sin, there is one who will stand as an intercessor, that if we will simply confess our sins, he is faithful and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we sin right now, all we have to do is confess and increase our righteousness. The dark places, the dark, darkness that, that is still in us from long ago, we can let go of those things and be at peace with God and with ourselves. I guarantee every one of us in here, we have all had dark things in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts that have troubled us, that we have carried with us. And you, you don't have to carry any of it. Forgiving yourself is the beginning of righteousness in you. Forgiving others is the beginning of righteousness in them. Because I'm going to tell you, when you face difficult situations... The world is looking for something different in us. The reason they don't like Christianity is because they don't see it. It's just true. We talk a good game. When we face financial hardship and we do so with joy, yeah, that, that they find weird. When we go through uh, an illness and we do so with hope, that, that they don't understand. That's weird. They want to understand. They want, everyone wants peace. They want to be at peace inside. They want to be at peace with others. It isn't shocking that peace begins the process of righteousness. Let's go to the second one. Other than we make peace, and and that's not it. It's not just that we allow it to happen because it doesn't. We make peace. Hebrews 12, 7 to 11 says this. This is a fun one. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of our spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You want to increase your righteousness and increase righteousness in those around you? Increase that yield, that harvest, you accept discipline. A big part of that is because when you accept discipline, you accept peace. I don't know. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm that odd, but I can remember when I was a little kid, very little, the worst thing that could happen is if I did something wrong and I was sent to my room and I just had to sit there. Right? Did you, did you guys ever have to do You're sat in your room because you're waiting for something, right? You're waiting for something to happen. 
You don't know what the outcome. You just want it over. Why do you want it over? So everything's back to normal. You're back, you're back at peace. But that, that tension, that, that struggle, as you're sitting there waiting for the discipline that's coming, I mean, that, that in and of itself is a, is a horrible discipline, right? I mean, we, that mentality of just, what is, what's dad going to do? What's mom going to do? Waiting for it to happen. I've had times when I wasn't disciplined. I don't know if you've ever felt this. I, there were times that I wasn't disciplined for something, and I felt worse. Like, I, I would go to my, I would say, can you just, uh, they were just disappointed with me. And I'd, I'd go, Lord, can you just whoop me? Can we just do that and have it over, please? That, that not having discipline felt wrong. It, it felt like they, they were just ignoring me. You know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't right. There was no peace in it. I'd done something wrong. I, I needed that taken care of. Or the times, <laughs> any, any of you guys, the, you know, you, you, your dad, your dad comes and, and the discipline begins and you decide, I'm not going to put up with that anymore. Or I'm not, I, it, that happened again. A little kid, I can remember one time my dad said, go to your room. I'm coming in there and, and whooping you. And I went, woo! and I went and ran and hid in the garage. And I'm in there panicking behind the, behind the car and he just opened the door and stepped out. And I'm going back and forth behind the car trying to figure out how I'm going to get away from this guy. And he says, stood there and he goes, now. And I just squealed. I screamed at the top of my lungs. And I sat there, boom, beelined, ran through, jumped through, whoo, got caught on the way through. I mean, it, it, anyone ever rebel, everyone ever fight the discipline of your dad and things worked out well for you? Anyone? Any person? I, I never stood up to my dad and he'd go, Okay. Never happened. Not once. It's the nature of it. Peace comes in submitting to it. Okay. If I want peace, I accept the discipline. Now what the writer of Hebrews says is that when we do so, see, we have a father who's much better than our earthly father's. And, and, and you can love your dad, but we all know dads make mistakes. That one doesn't. He disciplines us in a way that absolutely is for our benefit. We would probably compare this, if we're looking at a harvest, if we're looking at preparing a harvest, in essence, we would, we would look at this and call it pruning. There's a plant as it's growing, and there are parts that are healthy and parts that are not, parts that are good, parts that are bad. The bad parts actually put a drain on the rest of the plant. The yield in the harvest is worse because some of its life, its energy, its food, it's trying to take care of these dying branches. The quickest and best thing for it, not, not the easiest for it, and, and not the least painful because, I guess, plants feel pain. I've heard that. You've got to cut off and you've got to prune the branches that are dying. Why do you do that? Because then it stops trying to repair it, and it puts all of that energy, all of that effort into what is good, and it grows, and it increases. So we, if we want to be healthy, should accept this, this pruning that comes from God. We should, we should not only accept it, we should desire it. God, search me. Remove anything in me 
that is wrong. Remove it. Even if it comes to the point of pain. When I was in college, one of, the, one of my favorite songs, by Skillet, but it's one of their early songs. And, and there, there, there's, a, there's a phrase where, where they, they sing in the lyrics. They say, um, uh, God, break my legs if I thought to escape. Meaning, keep me with you. Do whatever it requires, even if it hurts me, so that I do not abandon you. And our desire for him should be that strong. Cut any wickedness off me. Cut it. Even if it's painful, I want to do it. I, I, don't, I, I don't know anyone who, who said, I, you know, don't take the cancer out because surgery will hurt. No. Get it out. It's not helpful. It's going to consume me and destroy me. Get it out. I'll endure the pain. It's the same with God. Prune it. Remove it. He disciplines us. He cuts. He removes. He extracts, but only for the sake of making us healthier. So in Proverbs 10, 16 to 17, so because we're, that's very clear about us, right? I mean, how we increase the harvest of righteousness within us. We get off all of that junk, and then, and then we're more righteous. We're able to be more righteous. But here um, in Proverbs 10, 16 to 17, he says, The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others to astray. So as we are talking about discipline and accepting discipline, now as we talk about going out and increasing the righteousness, the harvest in others, maybe we think we're supposed to just go out there and discipline all of those people at work and and start telling them, hey, you shouldn't use that language, don't do this, don't that. No, 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 no. Proverbs tells us the way you increase the harvest of righteousness in others is by yourself being disciplined. You endure that discipline. You allow God to change you, transform you, alter you. And that will point those around you to either life or death. Your example is what leads to life or leads others astray. So the last thing, last last one. We're going to read Proverbs 14.4, fun, weird little passage just in the middle of the Proverbs. Where there is no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. It's not as veiled as it is. You want a big harvest? You need a large animal that's going to do the work. That large animal... Well, he's going to go to the bathroom in your barn, and you've got to deal with it. If you don't want to have to deal with manure in the barn, there's a quick and easy way to do that. Don't have an ox. Don't have any animals in your barn. You'll have a nice, tidy barn. You will have no crops to show for any work. You'll have a nice barn. And that tells us this, is that in order to increase the righteousness in ourselves and others, we have to handle messy. We have to be able to handle what is messy in the world. So here we are in the church and we are having to replace the carpet that's out in the front, right? It's, it's, it's torn up. Oh my goodness, black coffee stains everywhere. What a mess. And we're going to put 
put money into putting new carpet out there. So, and, 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 and I know what happens in, in some people's minds. We immediately go, well, we need to protect that carpet. We need to make sure we keep that carpet looking nice so it doesn't, this doesn't happen again. You're right. You know what? After we get that carpet in here, let's keep it clean. Let's keep it fantastic. You know what? You know how we do that? How you keep that carpet from ever getting dirty again? We close those doors and we don't ever have another service. We get that carpet in here, and we just close them doors, and we'll just meet outside. We can all peek in and look at the carpet and be like, that is fantastic carpet in there. Look at that. That's awesome. I had a friend, Lance, growing up. He was up the hill. I'd go up to his house. Only friend I've ever known that had his parents had. They had a room in their house with white carpet. I mean, I mean snow white, thick carpet. No one, not mom, not dad, not Lance, were allowed to ever walk in that room. There's couches and tables. The tables had coasters. I couldn't figure that out. You're protecting the wood from cups that no one is bringing in there because you won't let anyone walk in there? He said no one ever went in there. He wasn't allowed. They didn't go in there. And I thought, how ridiculous. Oh, and it, it was beautiful. How was a beautiful, beautiful room. And you got to walk by it and just be amazed. What is the point? We, I say that because we, there, there are passages, right? There are passages in the scriptures that have made it very clear that we are to hate even the clothing stained by sin. Uh, we are told what, uh, what, in common do, what, what does light have in common with darkness? Uh, that we are not to participate in the fruitless deeds of darkness. That uh, we are supposed to, uh, that bad, bad company corrupts good morals. We, we learn all of these things. And, and there's a partial truth to it because we, we want to maintain our righteousness. We don't want to fall. So we, so we try to insulate ourselves from sin and temptation. But in doing so, what we have done is we have isolated ourselves from the people in the world that are messy and dirty. The ones that are, are, are raw soil ready to produce a harvest. And so we gather around ourselves only people in our life, in our home. The only people that come over, the only people we interact with are the people that are just like us. We are all ready for harvest uh, how do you increase the harvest when everyone you're around is already ready? If we are the most pure when we are isolated from the sinful in the world, that would mean Jesus was most pure when he was in heaven and not on earth. Because once he came to the earth and was surrounded by 100% wickedness, 100% sin, 100% lack of righteousness, then he would have somehow become less pure. But we know that Christ was not less pure. Being around us did not taint him. Being around us did not change him. If he comes from absolute purity to a place of absolute wickedness, why would we think it was supposed to be different for us when we are, by his words, sent into the world as he was? 
Let's read this, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So this tells us very clearly how you manage this. You go into the dirty parts of the world, but you maintain your purity. Do not fall into temptation. He doesn't say separate yourself from temptation, and I think that's where we get mistaken. We think we're supposed to be, if I, oh man, if I go hang out with these people, I might be tempted to do something wrong. Yeah, you might. And Jesus came to the earth and was tempted to do something wrong for your sake, to to create a harvest of righteousness in you. He didn't stay isolated. He didn't keep himself where he was safe in the bubble. He went out faced the challenge, withstood the test, and you have a righteousness in you because Jesus was willing to deal with your mess. So that harvest can only happen when we are willing and ready to interact with, to love, and forgive the oxen analogy, clean up after. People aren't righteous and will do so because we know that dealing with them increases the righteous harvest I think that's what Jesus was saying look around it's all ready it's all it's all right there just go so I'm gonna put these three back up on we're gonna end with this one so I'm gonna put these three back up on the on the screen and I want to ask this do, do these three statements represent us and I'm saying us, but I mean, I mean individually. Do these three statements represent me? Do they, do they represent you? Would you say of yourself or would someone say of you that you are a peacemaker, that, that you, you really try to be at peace with everyone around you? You, you really work at that. You, that's, what you, that's what you desire. Would they say that you are willing to accept discipline, that you want to be the best version of yourself you can, and you will listen to criticism. You will listen to God, or and because God uses other people to speak to us. And do you handle messy, or do you keep keep yourself clean? In that assessment, we go back to the beginning. All of us who are Christians accepted a deposit for this work. For this work, I always point at my the screen I look at. This is what we received a deposit to do. Are we going to take that deposit and do the work? Are we just going to run with it and go do our own thing? We'll just hope at the end there's we don't have anything for him to take. You know, the harvest is there. You can accomplish it because of the spirit that's in you. We've just got to believe. We've just got to get to work. We've just got to do it. Be excited about it. I get to be righteous. I get to help others find their purpose and their eternal life. I, get, I can help with that. That's a blessing.
Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation. If you, if you feel the need to be, to be cleansed this morning to increase your personal righteousness, you, sh- you can do so. If you've never accepted Christ and you want to be righteous, you can do that this morning. If you have people in your life that you are burdening your heart and you want us to pray for them, or you want prayers for you and how to handle them, just come forward and share those things with us and let us pray with you.